The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we do give to you praise and honor. We declare that with our mouths and ask that you would see it in our hearts, that you would lift up our hearts towards you, draw out from praise and place in us delight, as was prayed earlier. Place in us delight, Lord. Show us some new facet of your beauty, of your goodness, of your love. We think about the topic before us this morning, what you have done in the cross to unite us to yourself. Lord, Pastor Jed prayed earlier that I would be clear and that this is something that's hard to be clear about. Because there are things that are hard to understand about how you have united yourself to us and us to you. But I pray that you would be clear enough from your word to cause delight and worship to rise in us. Praise and honor and thanksgiving and joy. So Lord, teach us. Help us to understand who we are. All because of what you've done. And then help us to know what to do with that, how to, how to respond to it and to walk with it through life, this new us that you have made us, this new existence you've created. So Lord, be clear, clear enough. And maybe even in the parts that are not clear, would you even cause us to wonder a little bit like we wonder when we stand at the seashore and see an ocean and know we don't know all of it, but almost the vast unknownness of it is itself wonderful. So even the parts that we don't understand this morning, Lord, would you cause us to wonder and to be thankful that you are bigger and wider and deeper than we are. You are at work powerfully. We will know more later, but we'll never know all of you because you are God. And I thank you for joining yourself to us, for making a people, for communing with us. Oh Lord, that's a good thing. So speak this morning, help me to be clear, teach us from your word and build your church. Would you do that to the honor of Christ and for the good of us, your people, I pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen. We turn our attention this morning once again to Philippians chapter 4. And because we held off on finishing the study of the holiday season, it's been about a month, right? About four weeks since we've been in Philippians. So I want to kind of revisit a little bit of where we were last time when we were here in verses 10 through 13 of chapter 4. That paragraph and the paragraph that follows it, 14 down through 20, is Paul's thank you note here at the end of the book, his, his note of thanks to the Philippian church as he is grateful for the financial gift that they sent him during his imprisonment. And he is indeed thankful for the money. But as we saw a month ago when we looked at this, the, 
the money is not really the main focus of, of what he writes about or what he's thankful for. What, what the money shows him is what he's most excited about. It shows him the partnership that he has with this church in the gospel. He's in gospel partnership with them. They are partakers with him of this mission. And that's why they sent him money. And so that's what the money reminds him of, and that's what he gives thanks about. That's kind of what lies behind both of these paragraphs. So we touched on that, while also acknowledging that while that point lies behind, the main point is different in each paragraph. The main focus in the first paragraph is about Paul's contentment, his Christ-centered contentment with his provision level, whether it be great or little, he's okay. So we talked about that, contentment, rest and peace and joy and thankfulness in whatever circumstance. He has learned that, verse 11, and in verse 12, he has been learned that. Slightly different language, slightly different word. He's taught, been taught something by God, how to cope with, how to deal with. In any and every circumstance, I can do all things. Through Christ who strengthens me. So take us into verse 13. So I want to revisit actually verse 13 in particular, and I want to pull out something rather small there in the verse and kind of pick up something and kind of do this with it. So I'm talking about something pretty small from the verse. I will, at the end, come back and apply it into the verse and talk about what we do with it. But a lot of this morning is about who you are, what God has done in you, if you're a Christian. And as I prayed, a lot of this is we step up to the edge and look out at the ocean and say, I don't understand all of that. Because he hasn't explained it all to us. But we step up to the edge and we see something. And my, my hope and my prayer is that it would cause you to marvel and cause you to worship and to rejoice at this I know God has done for me, in me. Marvelous. It's placed you in Christ. So we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to make two observations from, from this passage. One about, the biggest one about who we are, and then the last one about what we do with that. But I'm going to read the whole paragraph just to kind of reset the context for us. Beginning, this is Philippians 4, beginning in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the passage this morning, and our focus is going to be on verse 13. That's the context of it. So here's two points. First one, about being who we are. In Christ, the phrase in Christ, defines the amazing existence of the Christian. In Christ defines the amazing existence of of the Christian. We look at verse 13. Most of our English translations are going to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Through him, through Christ, that is. And they read through him because obviously they're trying to pick up on the idea of enablement or empowerment. 
Christ strengthens Paul, and Paul's able to do something that he couldn't do all by himself, so he does it through Christ. So that's, that's fair, that's fine. Think of it like that. However, literally, it says, in him. In Christ. And that's the wrinkle that I'm grabbing onto here in this first point. We talk about being in Christ. All things I am capable of in Christ. That's what Paul says here. It's a subtle point that I'm going to make, but it's, it's one worth noting. It would be a misunderstanding to think that Paul is only talking about how Christ comes along and helps him. As if, for instance, we might talk about people. I have a problem and you come and help me, and so I accomplish my thing through you. That's help. That's clearly help, but it's distinct from me. You, out here, come and help me. And I do it through you, a person, or, or maybe an idea or knowledge. I, I got this job through my skills. The skills and me, two, two different things. Closely related, me and my skills, but different. Education. My education, through that, I was enabled to do something. Clearly help, clearly closely related, but not the same. Distinct. We don't want to miss something in only thinking of it as through Christ. Paul's got something different in mind. He's meaning to say, since Christ has already done something amazing to me, something that redefines my existence, I am differently abled. I have different capabilities. I've been changed. And in Christ, in this new place, I'm able to do something. A new me. We're not only helped, we're different. It's a subtle difference, but it's a sweet one. And I think, it, I think it'll rise out as we see what in Christ means. The wording of in Christ or in the Lord, or in Him, or the reverse language, Christ in me, Christ living in the believer, indwelling the believer, that language is all over the New Testament. One writer that I was looking at counted up something like 240 instances in just the writings of Paul and John. It's everywhere. In Him, in Christ, Christ in me, the Lord living in me, all that kind of language, it's, it's everywhere. From Paul's perspective, this is who he is. Remember, the word Christian didn't, didn't exist at this time. It's almost like a way of describing, I'm a man in Christ. That's who I am. It's my being, my existence. Think of 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. This, this new creature is this person in Christ, or Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. Anyone is in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Language can go both ways. Me in Christ, Christ in me. And it has to go both ways when you understand what it's trying to get at. What, what that language is trying to grab is what theologians call union with Christ. Union with Christ. All of me united with all of Him. 
every Christian is united with, joined with Christ. Now, the language can also be used to describe the whole body of Christ, but we're focusing on individuals right now, this morning. So every Christian joined to, united with Christ fully. Not just a part of you, all of you. I've used this analogy before about a balloon. You, all of you, placed in the balloon, like a particle of air in the balloon. You are in Christ, in this sphere. And just like a particle of air can't be like half in the balloon and half out of the balloon, you are all in Christ. But also, Christ is, Jesus is a a single singular being. He cannot be subdivided. You could think of a balloon and you could say, like, here's a particle of air that's kind of occupying the upper part of the balloon. Here's a particle of air that's occupying the lower right-hand side of the balloon. That's, that's not right for thinking of us in Christ. We are all in Him, and He can't be subdivided. We have all of Him ourselves. He is all in us, not just part of Him in us, but some sub-part. I'm all in Him. He is all in me. We are united. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ, and Christ is in you. You're united to Him. It's a union that does, of course, keep you as you. You are you. And He is Him. Christ is Christ. But nonetheless, it is a real, full union. But what does that mean? Well, part of it, as I've said a few times, part of it, I don't know. Part of it I do, though. Part of it he's told us. Think of a couple more verses. There are many verses we could pull out, but let's pull out two more that are very well-known verses. Galatians 2.20 is a very important verse on this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 we'll also look at. We could pick out others, but those are two well-known ones, so I've grabbed them. What we'll see is that to be in Christ, me in Him, and Him in me, what that is, I'm united with Him, that means I have a new existence. A new being, a new me is. Galatians 2.21. Paul says there of himself, and he means this to be of all Christians, I have been crucified with Christ. That's very strong language. I've been put to death with Christ. Not spiritually, obviously. Physically, I wasn't there. He means spiritually. With Christ. There's that union with Christ language again. Very similar to what he says in Romans 6, where he has more to say about it there. With Christ, I have been put to death. And I no longer live. The old me is gone. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In me. Christ in me. There's the language. Christ lives in me, but I keep living. I have to live. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how the verse finishes. There's more to say about that later. United with Christ, I was put to death, I'm gone. You're standing right here, what do you mean? Spiritually speaking, the old me is no more. 
and Christ is living in me. And so I'm living now with Christ alive in me. That's a new me. That's actually Christ living his life in me. If you're a Christian, in you. Now add in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man or a woman or boy or girl, if any man is in Christ, there's that language, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Similar thing. Old, gone, new, come. If you're in Christ, a new creation. So, in Christ, united with Christ, Put this together here and think about this. This this is this is one of those places where my mind says, oh, I don't know all of that, but something marvelous is right here. I think a person who was converted later in life sees this more clearly because you understand what the old you was you you you've lived that more, you've experience that as an adult more and you've seen that old you that's no more and the new you that's come if you were converted as a very young person perhaps it's a little harder to see but something you are different a new existence has come upon you the pre-christian you is no more it is gone and you are changed it's a little bit like fixing up an old car. If you've ever done an old car or a motorcycle or something like that, where you take this old, you buy off of Craigslist, this 1965 whatever, and five years later you have, theoretically, a 1965 whatever, but you put a new engine in it, a new transmission in it, new tires in it, new wiring, new steering wheel, new seats, new, 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 new. Well, what's exactly the same on that? Well, we kept some of the panels on the outside but only a few of them, some of them were trashed. So it looks like a 1965 whatever, but the car, the, the inside of the car was made six months ago. It's new. It looks the same on the outside. You look the same on the outside, but something happened inside of you. The old was taken out and thrown away, and a new life was planted in you. You're different. A new existence Something was born in you, new and different. It's at the level of, of supernatural and spiritual. And just, just like physical babies don't decide to create themselves, you didn't decide to create yourself, spiritually, this new you. God in power supernaturally made a new you. A new existence. At the level of desire and perspective and loves and passions and concerns and interest, He made a new you. This new you is aligned with Christ because you know what? Christ is actually living in you, giving shape to this thing. He's the form around which the new you sits. And as it settles in there and hardens, it looks like Christ. Christ lives in you. You are being conformed to His image at the heart level. 
Now, it's not done. Like, like a baby is born and growing. You, there's maturing that needs to happen. But there is continuity all along. The new you is like Christ and is becoming more like Christ. The old you wasn't. This change is marvelous. The old you, at best, heard of spiritual truths, heard about, had been told things about Christ, and the new you has seen it. And even where the new you struggles in, in obedience or, or, or struggles in faith, you know it's true. You're alive to it. It's a beautiful and marvelous and powerful thing. A perfect thing? No, not yet. But a marvelous thing. And this is what God intended to do from eternity past when He saw you in Christ and chose you in Christ and sent Christ to die for you. Think about this. He did not intend just to make a people that he rules from a distance. He could. He is almighty. He could rule his people as if from Mount Sinai. Remember the story. God comes down to Sinai and the mountain smokes and shakes with his presence that was real, that was intentional, because he wants to reveal, to show himself to people, to show his power, his authority, and all of us in our accountability. He wants to show that, but his intention was not that he be as a mountain set apart from us, ruling us from a distance, by force or by decree, saying, do this or else. That would be fine and right. He is God. But he always intended, not that, but instead to tabernacle with his people. The tent of meeting was the point. I will dwell with them. I will not stay on the mountain over there. I will come and I will dwell right in the midst of them and, and invite them to come into the tent and in actually come and live tent among them, in them. That was the intention. Not accomplished in the Old Testament yet. John chapter 1 talks about how finally Christ came and tabernacled, tented, dwelt among us. There's a move through John who uses this language a lot. John 14, right on target with our topic here. John 14, 21. Jesus is talking to his disciples there in John 14. And he says that he will love his people and manifest himself to them. I will reveal myself. I love you. He's talking to his disciples. I love you, and I will reveal myself to you. And one of his disciples says, when you're reading through your Bible, and if you've got a red letter edition, you notice this. If you're reading through your Bible, and you see the words of Jesus in red, you look at John 14. This is a sentence that's one of the few in black. John recorded this question that catch our attention. Jesus is speaking and hears something not from Jesus. Right in the middle, the disciple says, Lord, 
How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Not to the world. The world can see Sinai shaking. You're revealing yourself there. The world has the word. They can read it in English. The world has preaching and teaching. They can hear that. They can see the, the sea parted. They can see miracles. They can experience your common grace poured out on, on the earth. You've revealed yourself in many ways. How, Lord, will you? You say you love us and you'll reveal yourself to us. How will you uniquely love us and uniquely manifest yourself to us? And Jesus answers, next verse, he includes the Father and says, we, Father and Son by the Spirit, we will make our home in you. We will tabernacle with you. That's how God means to uniquely love you. He is not going to stand right next to you and lead you as a Lord or, or command you as, as a king. That is good and right and fine if he were to do that. And he does do that. But not only that, more with you, his people. He says, I come and I live in you. I will unite myself to you and give you a new existence. This is marvelous. This is, then, God at work in you. Not just on you, but in you. Think of Philippians 2.13. To will and to work according to His good pleasure. Christian. Some of you, perhaps converted later in life, can think of this. And it's very vivid for you. Others... Maybe we have to stop and imagine a bit more. Maybe pull in a, a loved one or a friend that you, that you care about deeply and know is not a Christian. And, and think about this. God has uniquely revealed Himself to you by taking up residence inside of you and making a new you. You are different. You are not just a follower of one of the world's great religions. You are a whole new being, alive to a world, the real world, alive to it, that sits right alongside of this one, and when this one comes to an end, will continue on forever. You live in that world, are aware of it, are alive to it, are concerned about it, are moved by it. That's a precious gift that He has given you. When He moved and took up residence inside of you and saved you and made you new, is now living His life in you. This is your amazing existence. Now, I have to acknowledge that when I, I say that, and again, I come up to this point and I say, even as, I, as I've sat and thought about this, probably more than you have this week, I've sat and thought about it, 
And I've, I've thought repeatedly, what does that mean? Are you, are you wondering that even right now? Maybe What does that mean? I think it means something, some way that we can understand this is by thinking about marriage. We have all, if, if we are regular attenders here, and, and if you are married, you have met one another's spouses in the hallway. You've been in a committee with them. You've sat across the table at some meal. Maybe you will this afternoon. You know them. But you don't know that person like the spouse knows that person. There's some unique depth, some willingness and some even desire to be vulnerable and to be known and to know and, and some care and concern about. If somebody dies in the congregation, we all are concerned, but not like the spouse is concerned. Right? There's a unique relationship there. If your spouse is not a good person, you still have that unique relationship, and it's perhaps more painful. But if your spouse is wonderful, if, if, if to know this spouse of yours, and to know not just like across the table chit-chat conversation, but to know, to live with, and to experience the depth of this person is sweet and satisfying and intriguing and, oh, great. Then what a privilege you had to be married to that person. Marriage is given to us as a little bit of, a, of an analogy, of an illustration of what it means to be one with, to be united with Christ who is the fullness of all beauty. And you, privileged that it is, have been given communion with Him to satisfy your heart with God Almighty. Not from the outside as Lord, but living inside of you. It, it is a privilege. I don't know the depth of it. But some of it I know, and it makes me marvel. But what do we do with that? That's, that's kind of who we are, but, but what of it? What do you do with it? Well, Paul does something with that here in this verse, which I want to touch on in the second observation. Moves us from what is true of us to what we do with it. Only in Christ... By faith can we do all things. Only in Christ, by faith, can we do all things. And that word only is going to become an important word. We have a new capability in our new existence that needs to mature and grow, but that's... That's the only way by which we can do all things. That's what verse 13 begins with. I can do all things 
We looked at this paragraph a few weeks back. We noted how it's often, unfortunately, taken out of its context and used as a motivational verse for Christians of all sorts of things. But in its context, Paul obviously is talking about contentment. In verse 12, he talks about in any and every circumstance, which is really just two different forms of the same word for all, which is the first word of verse 13 also. He's very tightly connecting 12 and 13 He means to say in all particular situations and in all general situations, in all things, I can handle it in Christ. That's what he's getting at. He's not saying that we can do anything that we can imagine. He's got a particular focus. I can do hunger. I can do feasting. I can do wealth, and I can do poverty. I can do humiliation, and I can do honor. I can do all things. That's what Paul's getting at. Which obviously doesn't mean just have it happen to me. He means something like I can do it well, as as God would define well. I will face it, not anxious about anything, but in everything, praying and thanksgiving, and the peace of God will guard my heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, same chapter. God's face it well, God's handle it, is defined by that paragraph, 4, 5, 6, and 7, I will do it rejoicing, and I will do it graciously, and I will do it humbly, and I will do it thankfully, and I will do it prayerfully, and I will do it at peace in Christ. Whatever it is, I can do it all. That's how Jesus thinks. That's how Paul thinks. Jesus in Paul lives that out. So, you are to think, I can, do, I can do demanding job, or I can do no job. I can do difficult marriage, or wonderful marriage, or singleness, or haven't had dating forever. I can do no friends at school. I can do kids who make fun at me, or look down at me because of something about me. I can do didn't get into graduate school. I can do did get into graduate school. All things. I can do them well. I can do them, that is, without anxiety, but at peace, guarded in heart and mind in Christ. Why? Why? We all want that. We all want to be able to face all those circumstances and do well with them and, and not be anxious and to be at peace. But unfortunately, You are a new creation. You are a a new creature. You have a new life in you. But unfortunately, tragically, we very often set that aside and pursue the paths of the world and attempt to get what we need and, and, and want and long for and desire this peace and this joy and this happiness and this thanksgiving. I will set aside what I am and I will walk like I used to be. It's that is tragic. The only way, the only way we can be this, the only way we can experience this life is in Christ. Or to put a little more meat on that, look at Galatians 2.20 again. 
The life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. How does he describe him? Who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith, Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live recalling to mind in all situations, in all things, when I face the threat and face the challenge, I call to mind, oh, there is one who loved me and gave himself for me. There is one who means not just to tell me what to do, but to draw up inside of me and to bring himself to my mind, to my heart, and to mature me in here, not from the outside. That one loved me so to manifest himself to me. That one gave himself for me to remove me from wrath and bring me into blessing. That one, I will trust that one. That is how That is possible for you as a Christian. And that is how, as a Christian, you do all things well, joyfully, at peace, thankful, resting, by faith in Christ. So take an example of what this might look like. I can do body image well. One of some all some of the all things I can do body image well. I look in the mirror. You look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, or you do like what you see. Either way, and you can do that well. What would well be? Well, I wouldn't be anxious about anything. I would be at peace. I would rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and I would be gracious and humble and thankful. I can do body image well in Christ. How? How does that even connect? You're a Christian, a new creation, and there are things, there are, there are truths about the real world, not the world that's on the magazine at the checkout stand at the grocery store. I go to the grocery stores too. I, I see the magazine you know, the women's magazines have sexy three, four times on every cover. What's I trying to tell you is important, that you be sexy. The men's magazines have muscle all over them. What's I trying to tell you? What's important is that you be muscular. That's, that's what the world says. And you as a new creature, you have that coming at you. you come, it's coming at you. But you also, you live in the real world. You have a capability. God, had, when he made you new, he changed you so that you have a connection to the world and you know some truth that you, as a new creature, you actually do believe. Even while you are challenged by the, you must be, you must be, or you're nothing. You're challenged by that, but you know. What do you know? Well, you know, for example, that this body is a tent. It is decaying and passing away. The Bible tells us that. 
You can read it. Anybody can read it. But as a new creature, it resonates with you, and you know it's true. It is true. The body is a tent passing away, decaying every moment. Every year it is decaying. But it will be renewed one day, glorious as God made it by God. The body's not bad, but it's not ultimate. So you've got, to start with, you've got a right perspective on what the body is. And it's not just a perspective that, I mean, I can write that down and I can give it to anybody in the street, and now they have that perspective in their hand also. This is a perspective that lives in your heart, and you know it's true. And then you know that it is a tool. The body is a tool. Why did God give you one? He gave you one as a tool by which he can, you can encounter the goodness, the grace of God in this physical world that he made. You can encounter his blessing with this tool, and you can then use this tool to worship him, to serve him, and to love neighbor. And it is not to be used. It is empty, in fact, when you use it to serve and to worship yourself. So you know that about the body also. And as a new creature, not just do you know the fact intellectually, but you know in this, in this new you, you know that's true. And even perhaps even as I'm saying it right now, it's resonating with you and you're saying, yeah, yeah, sexy, 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 sexy. Why? It's false, and you know it. You see, stewardship of this tent and of this tool is what God means for you, not idolatry of it or fear or or pursuit of all of life oriented around building this thing up, it's passing away. That's the capability that you have as a new creature. Because you are a new creature in Christ, with Christ living in you, this resonates with you. And that's from the outside coming in. It's on the inside of you. It's real. You know it. However, you also go to the grocery store and you see the magazines. And you go to the gym you see everybody else. So, in Christ, by faith, only by faith can I do body image well. It's not automatic. By faith. I know this is true. It's what actually gives rest to my heart when I believe it as I trust it. What I'm working on here are the two sides of Philippians 2, 12, and 13. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for... How can I do that? For God is at work in you, you new creature, you. God is at work in you to will and to work according to His good pleasure. Because God is at work, I can be at work. But I have to be at work. And the work that I am working is the work of faith. I'm saying... Oh God, I believe this. Help my unbelief. Yes, that's true. Help me to walk in it.
by faith, by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave Himself for you. By faith in Christ, you can, for instance, do body image well. With the truth that resonates with you, trusting it. That's the only way. It's the only way. And I picked that image, I picked that idea of body image, not because it's something that I'm an expert in. I mean, that, that's, that's a difficult one for me to kind of get my mind around. But I, I think that a lot of us, it never occurs to you that the Bible has anything to do with what you're thinking about when you go to the gym. Maybe lust, but not about yourself and why you're there and what you're doing and how you feel about yourself when you look at the mirror. How you feel about yourself when you're a teenager, not looking at your body, but you're looking at your face in the mirror. In Christ, there are truths that come to you. You're a teenager, and there are truths that come to you when you look at this face. Those things, those truths, they are true. This is passing away. It's not who you are. It's been given to you as a, as a tent and a tool for the worship of God, for the service of God, and for the loving of others, not the loving of yourself. And so, Christian teenager, believe Him and cry out to Him for power that He may strengthen you. End of the verse. To believe this more and then walk in it. To be captured by the importance of Him and His kingdom. Captured by, as, as Paul says in the beginning of this book, the day of Christ is coming that I would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. That's what's most important to me. That all this life is Christ. That you would actually believe that. Life isn't about you. Wonderfully. It's for Him. So I'm at the end of what I have to say, and I am confident that I didn't say half of it. Because I don't know it. I, I really do feel myself standing at the edge of something and saying, there is wonder out there. There is an eternity full of wonder. You have been, I have been, more than just picked up out of condemnation and put into forgiveness. I've been picked up in dwelt and changed, made different. And so all of my eternity is a different existence. I think that you and I will spend forever and ever and ever thankful for that. And learning more of what that means. This is what God has done for you in Christ. And standing in Christ by faith, you can do all things well. Rejoicing and thankful and at peace. 
You have new capabilities. Believe Him and walk in them. Let me pray. Lord, would you help us? Maybe you want to help individual particular people and and teach them more than what I have said about what it means that they are in Christ and that Christ is in them. Help us to understand who we are. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel by faith because we are in Christ. Well, this is a privilege. Would you now breathe power into us to to live this privilege? To live as new creatures, not voluntarily returning to the old. Give us strengthening power to walk to walk the path with you to not set you aside. But thank you for birthing us and thank you for committing yourself to maturing us. You have given us wings, Lord, would you, would you spread them and would you strengthen the muscles and would you give power to fly? We look to you, Lord, and say thank you and ask for more. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.